I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 11. Uh, this week we're going to be in verses 5 through 13. You know, we are entering the 10th month of the pandemic. And I don't know if you remember way back, it seems like it was like 10 years ago, but it was March, when, when we heard that there were going to be some restrictions and we're all running around trying to find stuff. So I remember walking into Wegmans thinking, how bad can the restrictions be? And I ambled through the produce section, and I got back to the bread section, and there was no bread at Wegmans. And we weren't even in lockdown yet. And I, I had a desperate need to get bread. I don't know how you react to these things. I see these restrictions uh, in, in particular on the commodities and all that as more of a challenge than anything else. And, and I became desperate to get a loaf of bread. And uh, I, I ran to Giant, and I went to Safeway, and finally I found a loaf of bread in, in uh, I think it was Harris Teeter. And, and so it leads to the question of the day, is where, where do I get my bread? And that's, that's actually the title of our sermon, Where Do I Find My Bread? Where Do I Get My Bread? Now last week we talked about how do I pray? Uh, and we got this template. It, it was a Lord's Prayer. We learned what to pray. We pray to God. We pray about God. And we learned uh, to ask Him, in, in short, to just have His way with us in everything that we do and say. So this week, we get to find out what our heart attitude should be when we pray. Now, our heart attitude about how we pray and when we pray as we go to God will we'll depend a lot on what our perception of God is. What do we think about God? I, I think that's a great question because it would be easy for some of us to think that uh, God is this sovereign Lord of all creation, uh, which is true, uh, and he's, he's got his eyes on everything, and he knows every blade of grass and everything, and does really not need to be bothered with my puny requests. Or we can think that God is some sugar daddy up in the sky. Going to give me everything I want. All I got to do is ask in the right way and be the right type of person. And then I can have all the things I want. Or is God, is he approachable? Is he compassionate? Is he loving and caring? And all those adjectives that we use when we describe God to somebody else in our heart. Do we see that God is compassionate towards me? Is he worried about my situation? So our perception on how God hears us will have a lot to do with our perception of who God is, and that will determine how we approach him. So Jesus doesn't just leave us with an empty form of a prayer. He doesn't just say, say this prayer every day and everything will just be fine. He now describes what our posture, what our hearts should look like as we pray. And what he's going to recommend to us is that whatever that posture is, that we, we engage in it with persistence, with patience, with diligence. And that applies to all of our prayers. So the passage today that we're going to look at has to be taken in context with the passage that's gone before. 
We pray according to the template that Jesus has given his disciples. We pray to the Father. We pray about the Father. We pray that he sustains us on a daily basis, that he nourishes us both physically and spiritually day to day. Now Jesus is going to show us how we should approach the Father in prayer. And he's going to do that in two vignettes. There's a parable here in verses 5 through 8, and then there's a promise that we're going to see in verses 9 through 13. So both vignettes, oddly enough, are based on food. You like food? Kelly went to Costco last week and bought a fruitcake. This has become a custom with us. And uh, generally, it's a lot more than I can eat in an hour. It's only about this big. And you know, that's one of those things that just become part of us. Well, you know, food... We, we have this abundance of food. It's just easy for us to get. It meant something totally different to those people back then. In, in their culture, food was hard to come by. No grocery stores, no bake shops, couldn't run down to the convenience center. You generally had to make your food or, or trade for your food. And when you did make food, if you made bread, you made enough for the day. It just didn't stay very long. So you made enough for the day, and then the next day you would make some more. Food was important and it was hard to come by. But another cultural imperative in the first century in the Mideast was hospitality. If someone showed up at your door, you had a duty to show them hospitality. And it was wide-ranging. So if, if you did not extend hospitality to the people around you, it was a dishonor to you. But because of the mentality back then, it wasn't just a dishonor to you. It was a dishonor to your house, to your family, to your entire village. You would be shamed by not extending hospitality to anyone who showed up at your door. Now, you think about that as you go through some of your biblical scenarios and, and understand that, that there was a lot more at stake than, than just what was going on around them. It had a lot to do with the clan mentality that they had, the village mentality. So you don't want to disgrace your house. You don't want to disgrace your community by not showing hospitality to a visitor. So we've got food and we got hospitality and that characterizes our two vignettes here. So let's take a look at the first one, the parable, starting with verse 5. And he, Jesus, said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, six for a friend of mine has already arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. So Jesus says, picture yourself in this situation. You're, you have a, a, a good friend who lives next door to you, and he comes banging on your door at midnight. Everybody's asleep, and he has, he has some, some other friend that has shown up unannounced, and he's out of bread. So the friend's situation is that because this out-of-town person has shown up, he has a sacred duty to extend hospitality to him. So he has to choose. Am, am I going to shame myself, my family, my house, my, my village, everybody that's connected with me, but not having hospitality? And we only made enough bread to last through the day, and it's gone. But I know that my neighbor has some extra bread, except it's midnight. And most of those people went to bed when the sun went down and got, got up when the sun went up, and that was their working day. 
And so the, he knows that his friend is asleep. He knows he has some extra bread. And we, we have this question that, that is just kind of posed to us as listeners. And it is, who among you would like to be woken up in the middle of the night? Now, it's even more complicated than that, but the first thing that we see is that this friend has a lot of nerve to go banging on the door. Probably a good friend. He doesn't want to mooch. He's not always over there getting stuff. He, he wants to borrow some bread. And literally what he's saying is when we get up in the morning, we'll make some extra and we'll be able to give it back to you. So Jesus portrays the neighbor, the sleeping guy, as being typical of most people. He doesn't want to get up. You know, and, and it, it, even that is more complicated. This is what the house looked like. I mean, a typical house back in the first century of, of Palestine. It's not very complicated, not very big, probably about 30 feet by 30 feet square or so. One door, maybe, maybe has some windows, probably not. Take a look inside the house. There are areas inside the house, but not really anything we would call rooms. There's an area to cook, and this one that's in the back. There's an area to eat over there to the right. And then you have the family area, which is right there in the middle. That's where all the family activity took place, including sleeping. So everybody slept there. So when the guy's thinking about knocking on the door, what he's probably going to do is waken the entire family. And remember, it's the first century. There's no ambient noise out there. There's no traffic moving around, people milling about. He's probably going to wake up the entire village. So he's got to choose. <laughs> do I deny hospitality or do I inconvenience these people? And, and the question is, how is the friend going to react? And we find out in verse 7, and he will answer from within, the neighbor who has the bread, don't bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. He's just like you and me. Ah, don't wake the kids. You know, they're never going to go back to sleep. And I got to be out there working in the morning. What are you doing pounding on my door at midnight? Well, the friend keeps pounding. And in verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, literally at first, because he is his friend, because he believes that his friend will understand why he's not getting up, yet because of his impudence. This has a pretty negative tone. Uh, I like the NIV, which says because of his shameless audacity. He's bold enough and humble enough to go knocking on the door to save the reputation of his house and his village. Because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So the neighbor understands that his friend is bound by this, this duty of hospitality. And he has no interest in putting his friend to shame. He knows the impact that'll have. He doesn't want to dishonor his village. So he knows that he, he, he does what the, the hard thing to do is, is he gets up and he does it and he gives his friend listen carefully what he needs not what he wants not what he has a vague desire for 
This man is desperate for bread. He needs it. So the request that the friend makes is not just a desire, it's, it's a need. And I believe, I believe that Jesus has chosen his words very carefully here. His friend needs the bread, not simply to show grace to his guest, but to honor his family, to honor his neighbor, to honor his village. So the parable shows a persistent man who knows where to go to get his needs met. He knows where to find his bread. He knows exactly where it is. And he's willing to humble himself and persevere in order to get to serve those around him. He's willing to bow down and embarrass himself in order to serve everyone around him. If you understand the situation, he wants his bread and is so consumed with getting it that he refuses to stop asking for it. Now, so far, we've got a pretty neat picture of prayer, don't we? Be persistent, keep asking for it. And the primary takeaway that we should see right here in these couple verses is that the persistence of the man who asked for the bread combined with his actual need for it causes the one who has the bread to give it to him in abundance. Now, we want to be real careful not to assign roles here because I've heard all that teaching and the idea that the sleeping neighbor is God and that if we just keep knocking on a door that he'll rouse himself up out of bed and go, I don't know why you're knocking on my door. So that's not what Jesus is trying to teach here. We've got to be careful with these roles. The sleepy guy in the story is reluctant, and we know that God's not reluctant. The sleepy guy's a human being and doesn't really want to be awakened in the middle of the night. It's okay. We all understand that. But God is not some half-awake, grumpy, reluctant, heavenly father. He's alert and compassionate and caring so what's happening in this parable and we got to keep this in mind jesus is trying to teach a lesson about prayer and we said it before prayer that is to the father about the father and has a petition for daily needs and those daily needs being that spiritual physical sustenance the need for righteousness rise up in our lives Jesus wants to encourage persistence in that prayer. Keep on praying for these things. That's what this parable is about. But there's also a promise tied to what Jesus is suggesting here. He makes it clear in our second vignette where we talk about the promise associated with this humble persistence that we see in prayer. And here's where the meat of this, this entire lesson is. Jesus explains the significance of the parable and how it's an example to how believers should approach God. Verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now again, this has to be taken in the context of the Prayer according to the template Jesus has given us. He's already given his disciples this prayer. He said, pray to their father, acknowledging him, pray that he sustains them, pray that he nourishes them. Jesus wants his followers to know that if they're persistent in praying for these things, if they recognize their true needs and they have a deep desire for them, the ones for righteousness, the ones for holiness, that those prayers will be answered. 
So Jesus tells the disciples to do three things. He says, ask, pray, knock. Ask, request, and it will be given to you. Seek, expect, expect, and you will find it. You will receive it. Knock, act, and it will be open to you. It will be made available to you. Now, I've heard a lot of teachings about this. And i got to be honest with you. A lot of them are taken out of context. That God will give you all the things you ask for if you are sincere enough. If you say the right words, if you've done the right things, then all you have to do is ask your Papa in heaven, and he'll give you everything you want, all the desires of your heart. That's not what Jesus is showing us here. That's taking it out of context and causing it to mean something that it's not intended to mean. So it's in the context of the Lord's prayer. Let me give it to you. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. We can't separate that prayer from this text. They're inextricably linked together. So when Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, he means something like this. Ask for what? Link it to the prayer. Ask for his kingdom to come. Ask for his kingdom to rise up in you and come flowing out of you, make it known to all the people around you. And let the, the kingdom of God manifest itself so that the world can see that God redeems, that God saves, that God forgives, that he's compassionate and merciful and loving. Let the kingdom rise up for you. Ask for that and it will be given to you. Seek Seek what? Well, seek our daily bread, our physical, spiritual nourishment. Seek everything that you need to live today and grow in your eternal relationship with heaven. We seek so many things. And this is a season where we're told to seek, isn't it? Oh, we got Black Friday, Cyber Monday exciting Tuesday, and I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Get this, have this. We're trained to seek, but frequently what we're trained to seek are the things that we don't need. Jesus says, seek the things that you need. And when we begin seeking earnestly with all our hearts, the daily bread that can only be found in Jesus Christ, we'll find it. Then we're supposed to knock. Take positive action. Be persistent in pursuing what? How about forgiveness? How about forgiveness? We're constantly sinning. We can't help ourselves. So that means we need to constantly pursuing, be pursuing forgiveness. But in order to receive the type of forgiveness we want, we need to forgive. We'll get to that in just a second. See, but this is the action that we have to take. This is the knocking. Jesus is talking about doing the things we need to do to be forgiven of our sins. And so for those who have never asked, 
for forgiveness for your sins. If you're out there and you haven't done this, all you have to do is, is confess, repent, and Jesus says you'll receive eternal life. That's good if you've never done that before. If, if you do, give us a call, send us a note, whatever. Scripture says if you do those things, you receive, receive eternal life. But for those of us who have already done this, we have eternal life, but we still sin. We're no longer under the eternal curse of sin. We're not going to die in the lake of fire. That's no longer our destination. But our sin subsequent to salvation has to be dealt with. So, so we ask for forgiveness. We knock on the Father's door daily and ask him for forgiveness. Not, not forgiveness to be saved again, that's done, but forgiveness to live in peace. To, forgiveness to take hold of the peace that goes beyond understanding. Forgiveness so that we can walk through this world as a living testimony to God's holiness. So that we can experience the joy of our salvation. We can have all those things. The world tells us we, we need to want other things, but if we really want those things, we can have them all right here, right now. We can have the peace and the joy of being a believer of Jesus Christ and a member of the body of Christ, but there's one more thing that we need to do. There's one more action that needs to be taken. There's some more knocking on that door of God's heavenly throne room that we need to do to demonstrate that we're sincere. To demonstrate that we, we have a deep and abiding interest in being forgiven and living like people who are the sons and daughters of God. We need to be forgiving. We need to be forgiving. See, this isn't easy. None of this is easy. It's not easy to put all of your worldly desires aside and pursue heavenly desires. And maybe the hardest thing that we're asked to do is to be forgiving. People hurt us. We're betrayed. We're injured. We're wounded. We're disappointed. Well, how forgiving does God expect me to be? Well, I don't know. How forgiving was he of you? You see, any, any feeling you have of hurt from somebody who has sinned against you, God is familiar with. That's what we've done to him. Every time we've sinned, we've hurt him, we've disappointed him, we've wounded him. And God has graciously forgiven those of us who have repented and gone to him. How forgiving do we have to be? As forgiving as God has been of us. That's a lot. So we're told to ask and seek and knock. We're to pursue with dogged determination, prayerful persistence, our Father, His holiness, His kingdom, our daily bread, 
forgiveness and being forgiving. And we're to pursue all of this as part of our sanctified walk. And if we do that, he's going to give us all of those things, including the kingdom. There's a beautiful promise that comes with all this. Jesus had been using human beings in these parables, not not as examples of God, but as a contrast to God, because we know in the middle of all this that human beings don't respond this way. They don't like being woken up in the middle of the night. They don't like to be forgiving. They don't like to set their sets on on eternal uh, favor with God rather than worldly. So these are all a contrast. Jesus knows these things are hard. But he also wants us to know that the things that God is asking us to do are the things that God has done for us and the things that are easy for God to do because he's God. So starting in verse 11, what father among you, again, the contrast, if his son asks for a fish, asks for something good to eat, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent, give him something dangerous. Or if he asks for an egg, something nutritious, and give him a scorpion, something that could take his life away. We want good things for our kids. Those of us that have children, you understand these passages. We have hopes and dreams and wants, and and when our kids ask us for the right thing, we'll give it to them. But when they ask us for another piece of candy after they've had too much, we know that's not a good thing for them. So we're not going to give our kids bad things. We're going to give our kids good things. In verse 13, Jesus says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Spirit. What? The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. See, there's the key. We can sum up all of those things that we need in one phrase. In final analysis, our paramount need, the things that you and I need so desperately. I love hearing Trudy sing how desperately we need God. We can sum up our need of God in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who will guide us, counsel us, encourage us to move in those areas of prayer that we need to move in. The kingdom to rise up, our daily bread, forgiveness and being forgiven. We have a helper that will help us with this. So I have these two beautiful little vignettes. We've got the parable, verses 5 through 8. A persistent man who needs some bread is honored by another man who has the bread. And is, in, in, in so doing that, the, the, the friend is honored, the village is honored, the, there's, there's no shame for the family, there's no shame for the village. And then, then we have this incredible promise that comes after it. If we pursue daily bread, if we're diligent to pray for the things we're called to pray for, spiritual and physical nourishment, with the same type of persistence that God, that, that guy had, God will give us those things. And we will avoid the shame and the embarrassment of living apart from our Father in heaven. But watch this. As God provides us that bread, we're honored to receive it. Our church is honored to be a body that has people that are being blessed in it. The body of Christ is honored 
because it's a testimony to the changing presence of the Holy Spirit. And even God himself is honored. The creator, the one who formed us in the womb, is honored in our transformation. Honored by our holy living and our testimony to who he is. See, we, we all need that bread. I had to learn a lesson that I couldn't get the bread I really needed at Wegmans. I came home with two loaves of bread. I was victorious. I was a conquering hunter-gatherer. You know, I'm like, ah. Kelly looked at me and said, why did you buy that? I said, you can't get bread anywhere. She said, but we don't eat bread. That's not the point. <laughs> I thought that I would be satisfied because I could go dig up some bread. So the question that we're faced with today is what type of bread are you looking for? Where do you think you're going to find it? And I think what Jesus is trying to show us is the only bread that means anything is found in him and him alone. And if we try to find it anywhere else, we're going to end up a little bit empty and a little bit dissatisfied. Let's get our bread from the supplier of the daily bread, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, in this time of giving. Lord, for this message, it shows us that you want to give. Lord, that when we approach you asking for those things of holiness and righteousness, Lord, that you will give them to us. Father, that you will give us forgiveness and that, Father, you will help us in being forgiven. So we pray a double blessing of those things on these hectic days that we're going through for the next few weeks. Help us keep our eyes set firmly upon you, Lord, and upon the, the wonderful eternal gifts that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you for joining us here in the sanctuary. Look forward to seeing you next week.